Uh, Exodus chapter 1, and I'll go ahead and just read the passage. It's, it's a long passage, so by the time the notes come, we'll be done, hopefully. Um, Exodus uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through uh, 22. And it says here, Now there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Phytham and Ramses. Uh, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egypt- Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all they worked, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sifra or Sifra and the other Pua. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with them, or God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied. And grew very strong. And then verse 21. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And that's the word of the Lord. So what we have here is, um, I want to start off by first recognizing the three major themes in the book of Exodus. We talked about this last week a little bit, and I want to mention it today as we start off because I think it's extremely important. Uh, The three things that come up in the book is uh, three ways that that Exodus describes God. First of all, it, it describes God as divine deliverer. He is the one who delivers his people from uh, Egyptian oppression. And that's what we're looking at right now in verses uh, 1 through 22, really. And we'll continue to look at that. But that's a major theme within the book of Exodus. Uh, the second major uh, theme, um, I'm still, I'll tell you what, maybe the Lord wants me to preach the message I preached last week. He wants me to do it again because I put those notes up back here. So the second thing uh, that we see is uh, he is the divine revealer of Israel. Um, And by that, I mean, uh, towards the middle of the book, we see how uh, the nation of Israel, how they are taken out of Egypt. 
And then in the desert, the Lord reveals himself uh, to uh, the nation of Israel. And he reveals, I said himself, but he really what I mean is that he reveals his will. He reveals his law. And uh, when he reveals his law, that is, that is his expectation of them and how they should live. Uh, so that takes up the middle portion of the book. And then at the very end, uh, God is the, the divine indweller. And uh, we see that he leads the nation of Israel uh, by night and by day. He goes, he goes before them. They follow him. Uh, but then at the end of the book, they build a tabernacle so that the spirit of God may uh, dwell with the people and, and, and they, he may be in the camp with them. So those are the three major themes of the book. But when it comes to delivering, uh, when it comes to God delivering uh, his people and ultimately his promises, we must remember what we talked about last week. Um, God is not dependent on any man. He is dependent on himself. Uh, important men come and go, but yet the Lord remains forever. Amen. Right. Uh, the, and not only men, but when I say men, I mean, I mean what they represent. Uh, men represent government authorities. They represent power on earth. They represent influence. They represent all these different things. Uh, but yet, it doesn't matter who comes and who goes, uh, the Lord's will continues to exist, and he continues to work out his will. Um, that's what we learned last week. But we also learned that when it comes to God delivering his people and also deliver, delivering on his promises, is that God will not fail. He will not fail because he has promised on himself that he will not fail. And God is without error. God is without error. So if he says he is going to do something, it's 100% sure that he will do it. And we also have to remember when it comes to God delivering on his promises and delivering his people is that we today, the promises that we receive from God... It's not because we are great people. It's not because we deserve these promises, but rather they come to us through Christ. It is Christ who deserves the promises of God. He is the one who lived uh, the perfect life. He is the one who is the obedient child. We were not. We were like Israel. We were disobedient. But yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it is through Christ that we inherit all these wonderful promises uh, from God. So just another reason to thank our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because in him we, we live, we move, and we have our being, right? He's, he's our, our life, our complete life. So we need to remember that when it comes to uh, God delivering on his promises and God delivering his people. Uh, last week, we also looked at the fact that in the very beginning of Exodus, uh, verses 1 through 7, we saw that, that God continued to bless uh, the Israelites. And this is after the fact that uh, all, you know, Joseph and, and, and the patriarchs had already died. It brings us back to our first point. As long as God exists, his promises exist and God is eternal. So therefore, his promises are eternal. Uh, he told Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph that he he would deliver his people and that he would care for them. And we see that taking place in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1 of Exodus. So it's, it's awesome to see that promise being maintained, being fulfilled, um, despite the influ influential leaders of Israel being gone. Uh, so Israel continued to multiply. They continued to prosper 
and they continued to enjoy the Lord's favor. Now today, today we're picking up where we left off and we continue to see the faithfulness of God, but it's a different type of circumstance. You see, because now today, last week when we talked about the Israelites, everything was going well. They were having children, the nation was getting stronger, they were enjoying uh, the fruits of their labor, everything was going well, and God was faithful in that. Now today we're going to talk about persecution with the Israelites. We're going to talk about them suffering in a mighty, mighty way, but yet there is something that we're going to see that is, that is the same today that it was last week, and that's the fact that God is faithful in, birth, in both circumstances. When things are going well, and when things are not going so well, God remains faithful to his promises. And he remains faithful to his people. Um, in fact, that's what we're going to talk about today. The sermon summary is this. God remains faithful to his people even during tough circumstances. God remains faithful to his people even, even during tough circumstances. First of all, let's look at Israel's experiences and their circumstance. Uh, they're, they're going through persecution at the hands of the Egyptians. Um, there seems to be three reasons why Israel is experiencing persecution. One, the Bible says there's a new king. Okay? There's someone new in charge. He wants to do things differently. Uh, secondly, he didn't know Joseph. Now, this is not like he, he didn't know um, he didn't know of him, but he didn't know him personally. He didn't know what Joseph did for the nation of Israel. So, number one, there's a new king. Number two, uh, the Bible says that Joseph is forgotten. And number three, the size and the strength of Israel threatens Egyptian officials. So, these are the three reasons of why uh, persecution begins for Israel. Now, in response to the population boom and the strengthening of the nation of Israel, the new king, he enacted new governmental policies. That's exactly what we're seeing here. There are new governmental policies, and these governmental policies have one uh, purpose. They are to suppress the Israelite people. And the Bible tells us that because it says that they dealed shrewdly with them. Now, this was done for a specific reason, and it was done, these, these, government, uh, these governmental policies were enacted to uh, control the population, or to keep the population of the Israelites down. And then also, ultimately, it was, they were enacted to hinder the influence and the power of the Israelites within the land. In other words, they did not want them to take over. They were going to make sure that they did not take over and that they did not gain any more influence in the land. And the goal of this was, number one, ethnic persecution. And then it turned into, number two, genocide. And if you don't understand what genocide is, it's the killing off of the Israelite people. And that's how, uh, that's what these governmental policies were aimed at that's what they were uh, set to accomplish and first of all and we see this come in phases the Israelites are first forced into slave labor 
Uh, and that's the first wave of, of oppression that comes to them. And they do this by redefining the Israelites' uh, social status in Egypt. I want you to think about this. Whenever you go back to the book of Genesis and you read through, uh, you find that the Israelites, that they were paid shepherds. They were shepherds and, and they, they were paid and, and they were able to have a job, make an income, and provide for their families. Well, now it, it's a lot different. They went from paid shepherds to contract herders, or excuse me, they went from paid shepherds and contract herders to construction laborers. In other words, they went from paid employees to construction slaves. And the Bible points out that they became bricklayers. And when you looked at that, that profession at the time, that profession was the bottom of the rung in the, in the social economic scale. That was, that was the very bottom. You know why? Because it was the hardest work you could do. And so this was something that no Egyptian wanted to do. So what they did was they forced the Israelites into slave labor so that they can do the work that nobody else wanted to do. And that's how their persecution started at the hands of the Egyptians. Um, and it says here, in, it's, in the Bible it says that they ruthlessly made the people work as slaves that they made their lives bitter uh, with hard service in all kinds of work. I like the way Moses uh, describes that. And the reason why I like that is because it lets you know how much affliction the Israelites were actually uh, going through, how much affliction they were experiencing. Uh, he didn't mince his words at all. You see, the Israelites were in desperate need of deliverance. Now, what we see happen next is under divine intervention. And what I mean by that is by the hand of God, uh, the more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they actually grew in number. You see, the more that they were persecuted, the stronger they got. What was supposed to keep them down and what's supposed to knock them out actually made them stronger. And the effects of the Egyptian uh, genocide policy was, or not the genocide policy, but the, but the slavery policy was actually backfiring. And we need to acknowledge that here God deserves all the credit. We see a people who are completely uh, helpless, even hopeless in this, in, in this situation, and yet they continue to grow. And it's not because they had a hero. It's not because somebody stepped up and, and saved the day, but rather it's because God, God had them in his hands. Now, one thing I do want to, I want to acknowledge is that this experience was not pleasant for the Israelites. I mean, imagine yourself. You hold a job today. Some of you like your job. Some of you don't. That doesn't matter. You get paid for it, right? And what I'm talking about today, you get paid for it. And guess what? If you don't like your job today, you have the freedom to go and find another job. And you can continue to do that, and you can continue to find a job, but the bottom, the, the bottom line is that you get paid for it. 
Now imagine you being taken, that job being taken away from you and, and someone telling you you are no longer going to get paid and by the way, you're going to work harder than you ever have in your whole life for free. Imagine how helpless you would feel. Imagine what would be going through your mind. This is exactly what's going on with the Israelites. It was not a pleasant experience, but, but God remained faithful. And he helped them in their circumstance. Um, their growth was miraculous. It was a divine thing. And listen, this is a picture of what happens to us as God's church when we are persecuted. We hear of persecutions throughout the world, and yet God's church continues to grow. It is because God is in charge. It is because he is sovereign. It is because there is no one greater than he. The devil has a lot of schemes. Men may think of a a hundred things to stop the word of God and the growth of God's kingdom, but they would never will because the Lord reigns. I want to stop and say this before we move on to the next point. What's happening here can also, when I'm talking about what's happening here, I mean what's happening here within this story, it can also be used as an analogy. An analogy to describe our experience with sin. You know how the Israelites here, how they became slaves to the Egyptians? Everything was taken away from them. They were helpless. I don't want us to go too far or too fast to not recognize that that is a picture of us and sin. You and I, we became slaves to sin. It made us into people we didn't want to be. It was our oppressor. There was no hope for us. We were helpless. And yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God saved us from our oppressor. He saved us from sin that persecuted us so much. Listen to this. Romans 6, verse 17 through 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. We are not too far from what the nation of Israel is going through. We're not too far from them, spiritually speaking. We may not be slaves right now in, 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 the, in the physical sense, in the here and now, but at one time when we were without Christ, we were spiritual slaves to sin. But Christ freed us from that. And for us, now we have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope of, of eternity with God and each other. And we have the promise of being glorified and, and, and sin being done away with, eradicated. It's a wonderful thing to look forward to. But 
anyway, I, I don't want to digress too far. I want to go back to what we're talking about. The Israelites, uh, they experienced persecution, but then that persecution got worse. Uh, the second wave, here's the second wave. Um, the second wave was more severe than the first. And uh, since making them work as slaves did not stop the growth of the country, uh, the new king, he used a different tactic. He decided to start killing people off. And this is what we call genocide here. Now, he would begin by attempting to use the midwives to kill uh, the sons that were born to the Israelite women. So what is he doing here? Well, first of all, he's, he's, killing, he's, he's trying to stop a, a bloodline. He's trying to stop uh, more babies being born, but he's also trying to destroy any future leader of the nation uh, as they move forward. So it's just targeted at the sons that are being born. But even here, uh, we see God moving. Uh, even though he attempted to use the midwives, well, the midwives were Hebrew women. And the Hebrew women, it says, feared God. And this is awesome to think about because uh, just think about, put yourself in their shoes. Uh, they were being told by the new king to do this, and yet they were faithful to God because they feared God. They noticed what this was. This was an attack on God himself. Because if the, if, if the Egyptian king was, was asking them to kill all the uh, male babies that were born to the Israelite women, then basically the new king, the Pharaoh, was going against the creation mandate of God that he had given to the Israelites. And that was to be fruitful and to multiply. That's what they were commanded to do, to be fruitful and to multiply. And now this new king, this Pharaoh, was trying to trump something that God had set in place for the Israelite people to follow. And these Hebrew midwives recognized that this was an evil thing that the king was telling them to do. And the Bible says that they feared God and did not do it. I think that's a great lesson for us today. As Christians, we must remember that our allegiance is first to God and then it goes to the governing authorities. Because we can't just sit here and say we don't have to listen to what the government says. We don't have to pay taxes. We don't have to pay our bills. We don't have to do anything. We're children of God and it doesn't apply to us. You're going to be a children of God in jail if you do that. So the thing is, is that we are told to obey the land of the, the law of the land, but we are to we are told to obey God first. And if the government authorities or the law of the land goes against what God is telling us to do, then guess what? What, what we must choose as Christians, we must follow God. We must follow him. Good example of that is is what's going on today with abortion. The law of the land says abortion is completely legal, that you can have, a woman can have an abortion. Doesn't even recognize it as killing a life, as murder. But us as Christians, if we look at that and we accept that and we say, you know what, since the law of the land says that, that it's okay to have an abortion, it's legal to have an abortion, 
then it's okay for us to practice the same thing. That is a great and mighty sin against God. And just because the law of the land says it's okay, it's not okay in the eyes of God. We must do what God has commanded above all else. So you see these women here, they are faced with a decision and they decide to follow God. I, I think that's a divinely inspired thing as well. To me, it, it, it's a miracle for these women to be able to stand up to a king and to say, we're not going to do that. And then afterward, you see them that they are, that they are blessed by God for remaining faithful. So yet, even in the presence of genocide, we see God move. Uh, we see him being faithful. But after this, even after, it, it, once we think that this is the worst it could get, it gets even, it, it gets even worse. Uh, after that, a harsher uh, governmental edict was passed from Pharaoh. And he, he now saw that it wasn't working to uh, have the midwives kill uh, the male babies, so he changed it. And this time, he said, every male baby is to be thrown into the Nile, to the Nile River. And you ask, why the Nile? Why, why, why would he ask uh, the Egyptian people to do that? Well, number one, it was very easy access, and the disposal of, of the bodies would be very easily done. With the current of the Nile going through, just simply throw a baby in the river, and it washes the baby away, and there is no more to be seen or heard of the baby. Number two, it could have also been recognized as a sacrifice to an idol god of the Nile River. But either way, we see this as purely evil. We see the people of God severely oppressed. They are being persecuted. But listen, even in this situation, God remains faithful. Listen, I know it's hard to see it. Because in us, we're sitting there thinking, we're like, how can somebody be so evil? And there may be some emotions stirring up in you as you read this story and you begin to get angry about how someone could, could throw little babies into a river. How they could attack little babies who are so helpless. That may get you angry and you may be mad about the situation as you read this story. And it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow but in that situation, we have to recognize that God remained faithful to his people because in the next chapter, as we begin to start reading, guess who is introduced? The deliverer of the Israelites. Moses is introduced in the next chapter. And Moses is just a vessel. But he represents the deliverer of Israel. He represents somebody who is greater than he. 
He is a representation, a foreshadow of Jesus Christ who would come to deliver his people from oppression, from sin. So no matter how bad it got for the people, people of Israel, the Lord remained faithful. I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about some of the things that you've been through. Some of the things that you caused yourself and some of the things that were brought upon you. If you are in Christ today, I want you to know that it doesn't matter how alone you felt, what you've been through, how hard it was. The Lord was with you all the way and he remains with you today. Sometimes that's very tough to understand, but we have to know it's true. As we look at this story, no matter how bad the situation got for the Israelites, God remained faithful to his people. And when we talk about his faithfulness, we have to be reminded and we have to point back to the fact that God is faithful because God always is. He is eternal. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is completely sovereign and therefore he is faithful. But God is always faithful because he is without error. Listen to me very carefully. God is not faithful because you are faithful. Never count on that. Never count on your own faithfulness to God to measure how much God is going to be faithful to you. You are unfaithful because you have sinned. But even though you sinned, and even though you deserve hell, I deserve hell, God has blessed us with grace and given us heaven. He has given us his son. He has given us eternal life. He has brought real life into us. That's something that we can never, ever, ever forget. We must remember that God will always be faithful because it is who he is. Secondly, let us also keep in mind that the Israelites, that they suffered greatly at the hands of the Egyptians. This is the tough part. You see, they did not escape trouble. Suffering, it didn't pass them by. But no matter how bad it got, God's blessings were present. Always present. As they were turned from workers to slave, we see God's presence there and he continues to multiply them. As the Egyptians began to kill them off, the Israelites off, and use the midwives, or try to use the midwives to slaughter their, their, their baby sons, God stepped in and continued to be with the people. And even when it got the worst it could get when they're throwing babies into the river, God's presence, his promises were there. It didn't wipe away the fact that they had to suffer because they suffered. And listen, 
The Bible tells us in this life we will have trouble. But take heart, he has overcome the world. You see, there is nobody who's ever existed that has been able to escape trouble. Even Christ himself, he came, he came to be troubled, to experience death, death on the cross. And in turn, he tells us that if we are to follow him, we must take up our cross. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. So although we're not promised a world without trouble, without heartache, without suffering, one thing we are promised, if we are in Christ, God is always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And therefore, we always have strength. We should always be of good courage. And we should always have hope. And then the last thing, we see the Israelites, that their ordeal was long and hard. They, they, they suffered, they, they, they experienced long suffering. And the reason why I mentioned that is because this wasn't something that just came and went. This is years upon years upon years upon years. Chapters 1 and 2, years and years, that's what we're seeing here. I know sometimes you look at your life and maybe you've gone through a really rough patch and I don't know, you know, sometimes we cause it ourselves again and we need to, and, and the fix for it is that we need to repent and believe. We need to repent and walk in obedience. Sometimes we cannot explain our suffering. It happens for different reasons. And if you're anything like me, if it's been about a week or two, I'm like, God, this, this has been so long. I can't take it anymore. Are you with me? In about a week or two? Right? And then some of us have suffered even longer. Some of us for years. Maybe a sickness. Maybe a disease. Maybe just depression. Maybe whatever it is. And you're sitting there thinking, I just cannot take it anymore. And it's maybe been about two years. The fact is, is that we're not promised any length of time for our suffering. We don't know when it's going to end. I, I can't tell you when it's going to end. I can't tell you that it's here today and then it's gone tomorrow. I can't promise you that things are going to get better for you. There's only one thing that I can give you. There's only one thing that I can tell you to bring encouragement to your life. Is that God knows. God is present. And he will deliver you. Those are the promises that we have. He knows. He's present. In your circumstance right now, in your situation, he's present. And one day he will deliver you from it. Completely. You see, that's why. That's why we, the hope that we have is so great. The life that we live on this earth is a wonderful life. We are completely blessed. It's not hard to recognize that. All we have to do is look at our, our family, look at our, our friends, look at our, 
look, our brothers and sisters in Christ, look, look at the things that God has blessed us with. We have a lot to be thankful for. But in this life, there's a lot of heartache, there's a lot of trouble, and it's all because of sin. And we look to be delivered from that one day. And God has said, I will deliver you. And we can take him at his word. Because he is God and God alone, and he will fulfill his promises. Our job as Christians is to continue moving forward. Continue moving forward. No matter how hard it gets, we just continue trying to strive to move forward. And we seek God's help. We seek his counsel. We seek his spirit to guide us, protect us, and enable us to live life according to his word. Let us pray.